my own purpose in life is to make sure people understand that animals, not just dogs, have feelings like we do, and they are misunderstood so often. Listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 44 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being with us today. I can't wait for you to meet today's guest, Natalie Keegan. She is the founder of the nonprofit organization Kids for Canines in Baltimore, Maryland, and also the owner of My Creative Canine Dog Training Business. And if that doesn't keep her busy enough, she also finds time to volunteer at several local shelters in the Baltimore area. And on the home front, Natalie and her husband, Kevin, also welcome children into their home through Maryland's foster care system. I first connected with Natalie several months ago. You may remember back in October, I was celebrating the two-year anniversary of the Believe in Dog podcast. And I put a call out through the podcast and through social media if anyone had a story that they wanted to share to be featured on the podcast about how the love of a dog had touched your life. And I had gotten a message from Natalie that I read on the episode where she said that she had two very special dogs who were therapy dogs for the Baltimore City schools for the better part of their lives. And one ended up being a very special visitor to the Ronald McDonald house after her own spinal cord stroke left her partially paralyzed and landed her in a wheelchair. And I remember getting this message and being like, oh my gosh, I need to hear more about this. So I realized through Facebook and the magic of mutual friends that Natalie was actually from the Baltimore area and we had a lot of mutual friends in common, but we had never connected ourselves before. So I had reached out to Natalie and asked her if she would be interested in sharing more of her story on the podcast. So I'm always so excited when I can sit down with somebody local to me in person and meet them and get to share these really special conversations with you. So we're going to hear all about Natalie's childhood experiences with animals, how her professional background and her love for dogs collided to take her life in a new direction with Kids for Canines. I have a special place in my heart for humane education programs programs that are going into any kind of school or setting with youth, you know, after school programs, scouts, whatever it is. I just love these programs that connect children with the healing power of animals, because we see time and time again, that sometimes there are children who are traumatized, who have reasons not to trust people but they're able to make these special connections with animals. And I've been able to see this myself in person through some of my volunteer work with Be More Dog. And I love seeing these programs spread through any school, through all schools. 
And I think you're going to love the stories that Natalie shares about the special relationships that she's been able to build with children in Baltimore through her work with dogs. And yes, we're also going to hear about Lacey, the very special dog who became paralyzed and still was able to continue her therapy dog career and was able to build even more special connections with children at the Ronald McDonald House, some of whom were experiencing paralysis or being in a wheelchair for the first time themselves. I mean, if that just doesn't bring a tear to your eye, I don't know what does. So, okay, now we'll get started. I'm so excited for you to meet Natalie Keegan. So we are here today with Natalie Keegan. Hi, Natalie. Hello there. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here. I have so much I want to talk to you about. But first, I always love to start by asking about childhood experiences with dogs. Did you grow up with dogs or other animals? Have you always been an animal lover? So yes, I've been an animal fanatic my whole life, if you ask my mom. She was the most tolerant mother of all, who gave me my (laughs) own room for multiple pets. (laughs) And I've always felt a unique connection to animals, all kinds, but dogs in particular. Did you have like a childhood dog growing up? Um, I sure did. Her name was Missy. Little Chihuahua. Oh, is she like the dog that made you fall in love with dogs? (laughs) Um, No. Funny enough, the dogs that made me fall in love with dogs were dogs who helped other people. That sounds strange, right? I know. But you could see... um, What made me fall in love with dogs was how affectionate they could be and how supportive they could be to someone who needed them. And I happened to be one of them. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's when I fell in love. You know, going to a strange place, you had your dog. Going to a new school, we moved around a lot. I always had my dog or gerbil or mouse or whatever (laughs) it was that I had at the moment. They were a huge comfort. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so you have such an impressive resume and long resume. So I'm always just curious, how did your life and career path bring you to working with dogs? Well, it was quite a long journey and unexpected, actually. Um, I have a long career and uh, background in psychology and also violence prevention in schools. Um, Spent many years working uh, with folks at Hopkins and American Institute for Research doing that in an effort to help one particular individual overcome some obstacles, I got into looking at dog training as a way to connect and a way to support. And what happened was so magical, you know, in a way that a person who couldn't really function suddenly began to get up every morning at the same time, um, take care of themselves in the way they should. And the magic of that. I guess that's really when I fell in love with the idea of how do I connect my world to support people and involve animals in that. Right. So that's how um, that mutually beneficial kind of relationship, because it helped the animal too. That's how I got the idea to start actually training animals. And I helped this person who happens to be my late son go through a dog training program and pass and launch a business from that. Oh, wow. Um, And, but it was for him. Right. I had no idea that that would then become my full-time career, (laughs) which it has. (laughs) And, um, from that and the good work that happened, we were able to launch kids for canines, which is a nonprofit that really integrates 
animals into classroom learning and in the community and in the local shelters. Yes, you're doing such amazing work with Kids for Canine. And I'm so passionate about humane education in schools and particularly in Baltimore City schools where it's just needed. (laughs) Indeed. But just to back up for one second, so you were saying that having your son having a dog in his life was really helping him get up and out of bed every day and kind of get him on a schedule and, and kind of build this life around around having the dog. And that was the like a really powerful experience. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. And um, the desire to, you know, to want to get up and want to do things to make life better for your dog right. is really neat stuff. <laughs> I agree. I mean, dogs, you know, have helped me through medical conditions or uh, depression and, you know, just <clears throat> life events, you know, like I, it is not a lie for me to say that there are days I wouldn't have gotten out of bed if it wasn't for the dogs. And nice. so th- that, that can be a very powerful experience for somebody to have in their lives. Yes. And there's all kinds of data out there. You don't need data. You can just look at people's faces, people who are, you know, would rather stay home and not be around people. If they take their dog for a walk, then they're suddenly out in public, but they wouldn't do that if they didn't have the dog. Right. And then there are official service animals who serve a very real function to help people get out of the house if they're not mobile or if they have true anxieties in public. Mm-hmm. Or like PTSD and Absolutely. Uh, service dogs. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, dogs are pretty amazing <laughs> in that way. So you went to Animal Behavior College, is that right? I did. And, you know... It was long before Karen Pryor had her school. I'm really old. So I'm giving, <laughs> You're I'm not very old. <laughs> telling my age. In fact, her school launched, I want to say, two years after. Okay. I was already had a foot. But she was my first real official, unofficial mentor, if, if I could call her that. Um, I've read all of her books. I've been part of all of her online workshops that I could be part of. And she is, um, all of her work was the foundation for the curriculum I built around how to train your dogs at home using positive reinforcement. And also how you can perhaps negotiate and build better relationships with people using the same strategy. I love that. (laughs) Yes. Her story that I first learned, she taught dolphins in the wild to find um, unexploded bombs. Mm -hmm. Now, these are dolphins who had free choice to help or not. They could get all the fish they want in the ocean. But they would do it for reinforcement through their skilled team, which I thought, how powerful is that? Yeah. So I was hooked (laughs) on positive reinforcement ever since and did strange things like teach squirrels to jump through hula hoops in my backyard. (laughs) As I was learning, I don't recommend anyone do that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, once you get hooked on the power of that, um, you can use it for so many things. So it's a natural intervention for so many environments. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So almost all of the work we do is, is founded on that. And so how did Kids for Canines first come about? Well, that that's another story altogether. <laughs> so I lived in the city, love the city. There are a lot of fantastic people in the city. But there's also a lot of, um, there are a lot of dogs, and there are a lot of dogs who are misunderstood, let's put it that way. Um, 
poorly behaving, chasing kids down the street kind of dogs. Right. Okay. <laughs> Unmanaged, I suppose. So I was actually in my front yard when I saw some teenagers and their dog in the playground across the street. And they were trying to get the dog to sit and not bite them, you know, not chew on. It was a young puppy. And they were using strategies that weren't very helpful and useful and potentially damaging to the dog and themselves, really. So I rushed over, now having this newfound power of positive reinforcement. I put chocolate in one pocket for the kids and hot dogs (laughs) in the other pocket for the dog and said, hey, I can show you a better way that'll work really quick and it'll impress your, you know, everyone. Watch this. And we got the dog to sit and we got the dog to sit repeatedly and stay seated and stop biting on their clothes. And then I gave the kids their chocolate and it was a win-win. And I thought, wow, we could really take this. We could grow this. Everybody could learn this. Yes. Right? And it's fun. It's contagious. Um I saw those kids a lot after that. (laughs) Any more chocolate? (laughs) Positive reinforcement works on the kids too. (laughs) Yes, it really does. And, um, you know, that was that spark that happened. So fast forward six years later after taking my dogs to the nearby schools, kids from those schools would come by my house and they'd say, oh my gosh, is that Bella? Is that Lacey? Because my dogs were always in the front yard. With me, with them, of course. <laughs> um, and I'd say, yeah, you know, they were a hit. They were, they were amazing animals. Just one way that, um, you know, they're, they just have a way of reaching in and touching you in places that other people can't. Right. You know, and, and they did that. There were many children with all kinds of um, histories uh, of violence and trauma and not very trusting of people, but Bella and Lacey had a way of just calming that. I don't even know how. There were kids who were so afraid to touch them. I had a target stick. I'm like, you don't have to touch them. Here, you just ask her to touch the tip of this with her nose or her paw. You tell her which one, and she'll do it. And within a few minutes, the kids are petting the dog. It's beautiful, right? But I give them all that credit. I just came up with the idea of how to, you know, the mechanics of it. They did all the nurturing (laughs) and all of the pulling in. Um, But, yeah, they're... They were magic. Um, I miss them terribly. Uh, and at the end of Lacey's career, she was five and she had a spinal cord stroke. And um, she still went back to the classroom oh. in the wheelchair, which was so impressive. She still passed her pet partner's evaluation. And so what kind of dog is Lacey? Golden Doodle. Golden Doodle. She was a Golden Doodle and so was Bella. And Bella, if you look on our website, you'll see a big picture of her. Um, and she's on all of our t-shirts and mugs and all that. And so with Lacey, uh, so first of all, what? how does a spinal cord stroke present? Well, it's interesting. Um, no one can say for certain, but it's usually caused, and in her case, it was um, caused by impact, a collision with her her big sister. Um, they were, I wasn't home. The pet sitter was there, of course. And it seemed like they ran out the door at the same time. And by the time they got to the bottom of the steps, they were over aroused and Bella cut the corner too close and knocked Lacey into the bottom step railing. And she was paralyzed instantly. Oh, my gosh. 
uh, from the waist down. Wow. Yeah. It was frightening. Yeah. <laughs> so she ended up having like the doggy wheelchair. She sure did. And I have the best videos of her running around all around Herring Run Park, <laughs> um, run, running and chasing after the kids playing soccer. Oh. And on occasion, she would flip over because she'd cut the corner oh. too close. And all the kids would go, ah! And I'd be like, it's okay. It's okay. Watch. Oh. And I'd run. I'd say, I'm coming. Just calm down. And we'd just go flip her over and she would just take off again oh my god incredible she was awesome and how long did she live uh, beyond that five more years years. and we were lucky enough to hook up with ronald mcdonald house and so we met quite a few children there who had the same thing from car crash you know they had spinal cord stroke and um, were paralyzed and in wheelchairs my favorite picture my favorite picture of Lacey is her outside of the Ronald McDonald house in the, you know, just as the sun was setting and she's just kind of by herself looking so pleased with the session she just had. I mean, she, she was just, um, she was my hero. Oh my gosh. But the wow. second favorite is with a young man in the wheelchair where they were racing up and down the halls in their wheelchairs. <laughs> Fabulous. So what, what was it like to, to witness kids be able to see this dog? getting around you know I, I'm just imagining that that would be very impactful and very exciting for them to see it was you know I actually saw two children cry when I brought her in and oh. I'm like, you don't have to feel bad for her look how happy she is look look at her I mean she and she wants to come say hi and look out she'll run your toe over with her back <laughs> you know she did she doesn't realize how wide she right. is in the back <laughs> And the kids would, you know, go from crying to laughing, and we would take her out of her wheelchair and show how she could scoot around without the wheels. This is what she does at home, because she couldn't, it's exhausting to stay in the chair, mm. so she would have to, um, she would oh, be yes, out. because it's so much. It's, yeah, I mean, how would she lay down? Her butt would be still oh, in the right, chair, right, right. and she'd be like, so right. we'd have to take her out for her to relax. Okay. And we would um, actually hold her up to eat. Okay. And things like that, and to help her go to the bathroom. Yeah, there were business, all those yeah. things. But she was the most resilient dog. The minute, the minute she got her wheelchair, she was off and going. Ugh. So we, I, I had rescued a dog off the street, and I had three, much to my husband's disappointment at that moment <laughs> when that happened. And I would t- take them on a daily walk around Lake Montebello, and she knew she was missing out on the walk when she first had her stroke. Right. And it would just, it, it was awful. She would just cry, cry, cry. Okay. So we couldn't wait for the wheelchair. So it's, it was almost like she knew this was my way to get back on the walk. We put her in it. We hardly got her strapped in, and she was off. She just adapted right away. She did. They are, oh my gosh, the, the resiliency and just what they can teach and, us about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, she never felt sorry for herself one minute. In right. fact, this is a funny story. Two of my lovely dogs found some very um, stinky goose poop, I guess it was, <laughs> and rolled in it. Uh-huh. And so she, in her wheelchair, flipped herself to do it with them. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> right? Still a dog. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's the best. <laughs> it was great. It was it was great. I love loved her so so. Animals have a way of getting in our hearts, don't they? Absolutely. And just 
like I said, dogs are responsible for some of the greatest lessons I've learned in life. And mm-hmm. resiliency is definitely one of them. And, and not feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> right, right. Which is a great segue to talk about how animals have a capacity to feel and understand far more than we give them credit, which yeah. is kind of the work that we're doing now is just trying to make sure we have enough that we get that message out there mm-hmm. so that, you know, I feel like some people are missing out on that beautiful opportunity to to connect with something so um, innocent and so pure, I guess I should say. I don't know. I um, They're so vulnerable and so accepting, right? Right. And um, I think I've, I've taken it on my own. It's my own response. My own purpose in life is to make sure people understand that animals, not just dogs, have feelings like we do. Right. And they can grieve and they can, you know, be sad. They can be mad. They can be happy. They can be afraid. And they are misunderstood so often. Yes. Um, lost in translation. There's a great book about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can build ways to help animals be more successful no matter their past. A lot of trauma with shelter animals. We can provide ways for them to have choices rather than um, responding in their old patterns reliving trauma does that make sense Mm -hmm. absolutely because i have a very traumatized dog at home yeah uh with our with our guy nino he's definitely like the most shy and fearful dog that that we've ever encountered and and we've had him with us for six years now and it's like we're proud of the steps that he's made but we always know that there's a lot more work to do (laughs) yeah there's all kinds they're coming up with all kinds of new um I don't want to push pharmaceuticals, but let's face it, sometimes we need a little help to get us to a place where we can learn new emotional responses. And we have that for people to help manage their anxiety and to cope with things that are scary. It makes sense that if we're working to help a dog learn new emotional responses to things that trigger fear, anxiety, terror, really, that that we could... Um, mitigate some of that anxiety to help them in that learning process. And I advocate strongly for positive reinforcement as a way to also help them learn those new responses. Right. You know, we call it in the dog training world, classical conditioning and operant conditioning. Yes, I'm picturing the square. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the things that we don't ever do even if a dog's never been traumatized to avoid trauma is use um, the punishment part. <laughs> we just, uh, that's just not part of what we do. Right. We focus on, um, we don't learn from being punished anyway. What changes behavior? Reinforcement. Right. You might um, be able to um, abruptly interrupt and suppress behavior using punishment, but you're not changing it. So that's kind of what we say. When we start out, um, and it kind of kind of circles back to the classroom when we're teaching this to the kids in the classroom, and the teachers are observing this. That kind of you know, it's a multi-level, right? <laughs> oh, you mean punishing Johnny for jumping out of the seat and raising his hand twenty times is not changing his behavior? In fact, wait, I'm reinforcing that behavior. <laughs> I get it now. It's light bulb, right? Yes. <laughs> 
it's the same thing. And and just like you were saying, the the kids in the park, they're trying to mm-hmm. punish the dog into doing the right thing, and it's you know not working. <laughs> Doesn't understand. It's causing all kinds of conflict between your relationship with your dog, right? But he certainly understood. Yes, good job. Right. <laughs> and the hot dog didn't hurt. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what we're trying to get across. And so you're actually also helping kids learn how to do this training yes. with animals too. That is absolutely the, the bulk of what we teach. Um, we do dog bite prevention, of course, that comes with the territory. But if you're handling your animal using humane strategies and positive reinforcement to manage and care for your animals, you're, you're already minimizing the risk for aggression, misunderstanding. That's how aggression happens, right? I think. Um, I don't think there are very many inherently aggressive dogs out there. I really don't. I think that um, trauma plays a huge, you know, past incidences um, and trauma. Well, for people too. Yes, that's really, what I was just thinking. Yeah, predict how we anticipate situations and then we react accordingly if we think we have to protect ourselves right right so we just take that out of the equation when we focus on success and and not punish you know what we don't want and you know we see all these news headlines all the time from baltimore right about violence in the city mm-hmm. and and they just want to punish 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 right, their, way, right. their way out of it and i'm just you know and i I feel like it's been a little bit of a buzz term the last couple of years with trauma-informed care. Yes. But I really think that if we really want to affect change on any kind of greater level, we have to address the collective trauma of Baltimore. Absolutely. Yes. And, and you know, where there is um, violence towards animals, there's violence towards there there's violence for people it's all interconnected yes it's in fact the link right there's like mm-hmm. a link between yeah people who are demonstrating violence towards animals and violence towards people and and i also think that when often mm-hmm. when there is somebody having violence towards animals it's also because they've had violence to them themselves yeah. so they're both victim and perpetrator mm-hmm and, and that it just it, that's the whole cycle of you know violence because violence and, yeah. and and I like I I just always feel like I can see this so clearly why aren't we ever addressing the root cause right prevention prevention right. prevention right um, right the old proverb what is that um, rather than scooping the babies out one at a time let's figure out how they're getting in the water to start right. with right. right. And and that's just, again, why I love the humane education and why I think it's so important to, to teach kids, all kids, yes. you know, uh, especially all kids in, in Baltimore City uh, at a young age, you know, these types of strategies. And, mm-hmm. and through some of the volunteer work I've done, at least when we were trying to get it started, which was over 10 years ago now, you know, there wasn't. And of course, we're a very small group of people, so it's not like we could Im- immediately scale ourselves overnight to <laughs> right. be in every school. But you know, um, there was it, it, we were usually contacted by certain teachers or certain administrators who got it, right? And it was always interesting seeing the reactions when we would come in the school because we would bring a dog, uh-huh. and 
and and the people who did get it and the people who didn't get it, you know, amongst the other adults or administrators of like, what is going on? Why is there this dog? What are they doing? What, you know, and, um, so anyway, I, I can, uh, I certainly respect that you have been able to build this program and and do so much with it and, and be in as many places as, as you are with it. And there's just an unending need for it. In, we need more. City. We yeah. absolutely definitely need more. And um, yeah, we're always looking for partners. We're always looking to grow. And um, Maryland SBCA is doing some great stuff in schools. I know they have been getting programs yeah. out there. Um, there are a couple others that are up and growing. There's. It's not about competition. There's just not enough of us to go around. Right. We need more. More. Yes, more, we more, need more. everybody. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All hands on deck. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and uh, I think we'll get there if we can figure it out. I mean, funding is always the reason why we can't reach as many places right. as we would like. Um, but uh, the community, I find, is really stepping up and supporting some of these initiatives. They support me greatly. Oh, that's wonderful. I couldn't do what I do without the, without the funding support from many of the people who just give annually or for special events. Or I'm really lucky that way. Oh, that's wonderful. I would still like to win the lotto. So, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> There's always a need for more. <laughs> I hear you on that. Yes. <laughs> I, I have it all spent already. Yes. I, got, I got plans. <laughs> oh, and you had another story, too, I wanted you to share about the nine-year-old boy oh. who threw, was throwing rocks. Yeah, you know, when I first, um, I I got an OSI fellowship. Um, which is Open Society Open Institute, Society Institute, which is very prestigious uh, for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is. Well, um, I got my fellowship in, in 2011. I always associate with 2012 because that's when I was full on in schools mm-hmm. and in communities. But early on in that, they asked me to share a story about it to, as part of um, getting my internship there. So I told them the story about the young boy who would go by this dog. We've all seen these dogs who bark viciously at you as you're walking by. They're protecting their yard, protecting right. their territory. There's the dogs who are left out there way too long on the road. <laughs> right? And it would terrify the kid. He would jump every single time. And his he'd sometimes he'd be with his friends. And they would laugh at him, and he'd get all upset. And then he would throw rocks at the dog. You shut up, you stupid dog. Right? Because he was embarrassed. He was afraid. And that was a golden opportunity to say, hey, I got a better way, right? So instead of throwing rocks, why don't you have these treats? And when you go by, call the dog. This is the dog's name. Whatever. We can name him whatever you want. (laughs) And throw the treat over. And then keep going. And if you do this regularly, this dog is not only going to stop barking at you, he's going to look for you. And he's going to look forward to seeing you. And that is exactly what happened. Mm. So we did kind of some classical conditioning and some little bit of operant conditioning, you know, um, desensitizing. The dog was afraid of the kid. The kid was afraid of the dog. And it all went beautifully with very little talking, lots of food, (laughs) and very planful approaches and leaving. (laughs) It was very successful. And that, you know, and in both instances right in both the dogs and the boys it's Mm -hmm. the misunderstood behaviors and the dog looks very scary and Mm -hmm. aggressive but it's usually very fear-based yes and then the boy is in turn very fearful but reacts you know 
I'm going to say violence, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, but, yeah. And, but it's to cover up fear. Yes. And maybe even protect himself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, <laughs> don't, doesn't, don't you see? <laughs> right. Right. But they did see, right. you know, and, and he was now not the one being laughed at, but now the one, wow, how did you do that? Right. Right? It was very powerful and very life-changing, you know, for the dog, too, who right. no longer got rocks thrown at him every right. day after right. school. Yay! Right? right? It was wonderful, wonderful experience. But that was very early on, and those are the kinds of things that we can share in the classroom, you know, and and um, figure out ways to, you know, move that, you know, generalize that into how we interact with, with everyone, with right. people, right? Why don't, why don't we just figure that out? Wouldn't that be great? Right. <laughs> and, and I have used that mindset in dealing with difficult people at times, you know? It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome for husbands, too. <laughs> yes, I said that. <laughs> but it's just, uh, you know... We can't like we can't punish our way out of these things. We have to address them with understanding what's motivating it and and, and resolving it. At least that's you know, <laughs> um, I when I was in college I studied a lot of this and I had wanted to try to go into a, a career but I couldn't ever quite figure out what what I what to do with it. And it's funny how sometimes it all comes full circle back mm-hmm. to you without even trying. Right? <laughs> it is funny. I know most people think about um, WTF. <laughs> as something other than what's the function that's what i think of because you know behavior is serving a purpose it's there for a reason what is it and it's usually um the two main areas are to avoid something or to gain something mm-hmm. it's usually what what it is whether it's attention or avoidance of the scary thing or um dogs barking give me space mm-hmm. you know is usually what it is um Kids, you know, acting out in class, and they're embarrassed or they're afraid or they don't know the answer. I mean, that's it's so. If we can just figure out what is the function of that behavior, then we can figure out how, how to help them through that. And if you get into the, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it because everybody will know what I mean. The woo-woo world, and you look at uh, people like Marianne Williamson, who says there's really only two emotions, which are love and fear. Hmm. And so I try to really keep that in mind, too, because even when we're coming at things from, you know, anger things, a lot of times when you get under that, it really is a fear of, of something. And mm-hmm. so that's something I always have in the back of my mind at all that's times. a good thing too. to keep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have so many things here I wanted to ask you about. So <laughs> I know you also do volunteer work with the Baltimore Humane Society, with Maryland SPCA. Mm-hmm. And I know you have the summer program coming up, too, at Baltimore Humane Society. Right. So what does is, what is all your work uh, with them look like? First, let me say the reason I keep volunteering and Folks, if you have time, do it. Um, busy people, come on. We can do it. We're all busy. <laughs> I do it because I get so much from it. Right. Um, it keeps me honest. Working with shelter dogs keeps you honest. Doing group class keeps you honest. <laughs> it's hard work. It's really hard. But it's also ex- incredibly rewarding. So I do it for me. That's my that's my mental health. That's my good stuff for me. But then I like to bring other people in it. And so part of what Kids for Canines has done is grown programs for kids to come work at the shelter, too, to volunteer there. I love that. It's so much fun. Um, The dogs love it. It's a different level of activity 
for um you can make training should be fun learning should be fun but when you add teens to it it's actually twice as fun (laughs) and then they're learning these skills that they can take and use with their own dogs at home or they can build it into a career in animal welfare animal training um, which we're always looking to have more positive reinforcement trainers in the dog <laughs> training world. So um, if we can build that, that's great. So this year, we've been at the Maryland SPCA for many years now. Then COVID hit. Right. Everything was up in the air. Um, we actually started going back in person um, in a hybrid format at Baltimore Humane Society last year, and this year we'll be there again. All right. And we'll have a few more hours, and I think the week we confirmed is July 25th. Okay. For sure. There may be an additional week, um, and there may be opportunities at another location. We're just not sure yet. And so what is the, so is this open to any teenagers? So high school okay. students, um, it's open to any Baltimore County, Baltimore City, high school teenagers who want to come and learn how to train dogs using positive reinforcement come on and we're including cats as well oh that's wonderful mm-hmm. that's wonderful and so the kids come out to the shelter every day and you they give them do. different they so, work with the dog yes what's so much fun well because of covid this was a good thing that happened of COVID. we put everything <laughs> online so that we don't have to spend all of our time talking to kids in the morning to teach them how to oh, train they're supposed to watch it ahead they of time they can do it um independently at home in their own time and then come with questions you know we have q a and then we model those things that we learned online for them at the shelter and they can do hands-on practice at the shelter so you learn all about how to apply positive reinforcement training at home you ask questions you come to the shelter and then you practice it with a dog and cat or whatever it is we're focusing on that day that's amazing. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Did I mention that? <laughs> I cut up a lot of meat for treats, though, I have to say. Going through pounds and pounds of hot dogs. <laughs> we, we do, and chicken, and my husband, God love him, he grills it for me because it has a better flavor. <laughs> it's not so slimy. This is very gourmet. <laughs> Yeah, we we enjoy we all enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we will have links. Uh, hopefully, we'll have links to that in the show notes. Yeah, for everybody. Yeah. yeah, that'll be great. Um, and the other thing that I am so excited to share with you is that we um, we are launching a book, our very first book. We have yes. three in the works. One on wow. uh, a dog's point of view on training strategies, positive reinforcement versus other strategies that aren't as effective. And also um, prevention of dog fighting. I love that. So um, back in 2013, there was a story about a dog named Molly who was um, caught up in the dog fighting situation in Baltimore City, and she died from her injuries. And this was right about the time I was in one of the schools and we were talking about dog fighting in one of our classes and we just embraced the story and the kids were just on fire about oh miss keegan how can we stop this this is just terrible and we can share on the link some Mm -hmm. of the artwork that the children did yes Um, you brought this beautiful board here and i'm definitely going to (sighs) have pictures for everybody of seeing the kids interpretation of of you know anti-dog fighting and i just it's very moving. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so moved by it. And they said, you know, Miss Keegan, we really should get this out. 
we, we need to do a, they told me, you need to do a book. I'm like, okay. I love it. So fast forward 10 years later, <laughs> we did it. Yay. Yay. I'm working in collaboration with Jonathan Scott Fuqua, who already is um, a published author and an, an outstanding illustrator. Oh, wow. um, so he's done the illustrations for the book. And we're, we're going to be going to, what do they call that in the book world publication? Quite soon. And we'll have a big launch party. Oh, um, that's wonderful. I'm coming. You are invited. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we're super excited about that. So is that something? So in my work with Be More Dog, uh, one time we were actually contacted by like an elementary middle school mm-hmm. in Baltimore to, to come and talk to kids about dog fighting and dog safety and these things. And they specifically wanted us because there had just been a dog fighting bust across the street from the school. Wow. And so we came and we were like the assembly for the day. Okay. All the kids came in (laughs) and, um, and we, we talked about some of these things and, uh, is that something that you hear kid do kids ask about that? Do kids ever bring it up? Like yes. how, how common is that? Actually, it's more common than you would think. There yeah. there are a lot of things that um we don't normally see in our day to day, but if you um you know, kids are somehow they just they they know. They see and everything. hear everything. Yeah. And they're very curious when they trust the adult, you know, to give them open, honest answers, they're very, um, they're very curious and, and surprisingly very ready to roll up sleeves and help. Where, you know, it's not always, no, you can't go knock on the door and tell them not to do that. That's not, <laughs> but here's what you can do. You can call this person, you can report it here, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, you can call me. You know, we always put ourselves out there. I have a group of people, um, Katie Flory being one <laughs> at the Maryland SBCA. She always said, you can always have them call me, right? She's um, fabulous. She is awesome. So what we hope to do, another friend from the Maryland SBCA who's now at Barks, her dog, Knox, is actually, he's the character in the book. Oh, he's the dog model? He is the dog <laughs> model. Oh, I love it. Um, Caitlin was on uh, the podcast. Uh, oh, I think it was episode 19 about finding Knox. Okay. Well, he will, you will, you will recognize his oh, muscular, you know, stature in, the, in the books. I mean, he just is the perfect dog for that. And she graciously allowed us to use him. Oh, that's fabulous. So we'll we'll look for that. And, you know, the neat thing about what we're hoping to do is not your typical buy this on Amazon. We are looking to get, um, and we have a very strong lead on a few funders who are going to um, help us just rep- replicate this book and give it out. That's fabulous. To go to schools, give that assembly. Right. I like it in a much smaller format in classroom to classroom cause, so kids have an opportunity to have more intimate, Inter- dis- yes, yeah, yes. intimate that discussion. would have been ideal yes yeah i mean that's always preferred even when you're doing dog bite prevention so that they have an opportunity to ask questions and really um internalize the information better but that's the goal so that we can go around and just give that out and be a resource that'll be a resource um for the schools oh that's wonderful put it in hands of kids who wouldn't go on amazon and buy it right right because you want to get it where it's needed yes 
Yeah, so where it's wanted. I mean, those the kids who I'm going to go back to these kids. But that was ten years ago. I I, I have their contact information. Oh, I don't wow. know if I if they're still there. You know, <laughs> people move around, but I can't wait to let them know. And some of their artwork will be featured in um, some of the articles that are about the book. I know, right? Oh, I cry. That's adorable. <laughs> and I told them all these years ago. Listen do your best work and make sure your things are spelled correctly because you might see it written up somewhere one day. I love it. And yes, I will definitely make sure we're sharing these (laughs) when the episode comes out. Okay. That's exciting. That's very exciting. You are so busy. (laughs) I am busy, but you know what? I love what I do. It doesn't feel like work ever. Um, And and besides doing all of this, I'm still out there training. I was just going to say, you have your private training clients too, I do, and I focus a lot on um, dogs with trauma. And I'm trying to figure out how to help them, you know, in ways that are very similar to kids with trauma, people with trauma. Um, And... um, Looking, always looking for partners, always looking to grow the science, always looking to collect data, um, those kinds of things to make sure that we're we're um, using our resources the most effective way and helping as many dogs and their people mm-hmm. as we can. It, it's also interconnected. <laughs> it is. It truly is, um, and that um, and that that mutually beneficial, um, one of a kind bond we have with our pets they know us best absolutely and so from a training trainer perspective how has covid and pandemic puppies uh, affected your training business so i'm sure this won't be a surprise but my (laughs) business is booming as is everyone's because covid not only impacted people it really had an um an impact on family pets who are no longer exposed and getting their social learnings that we normally would do. We don't even have people regularly ringing our doorbell, right? right? So it's um, lots and lots of cases of fear-based kind of reactivity just for lack of socialization from COVID is what, what I'm seeing. And I think a lot of my colleagues would would share that too. But there's a high level of anxiety last year yeah. among pets and people, yeah, right? And the whole idea of going to a person's house to help them during COVID was another layer. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I personally test myself every week to make sure I don't have it when I'm going to see someone because I can't effectively work with reactive dogs wearing a mask. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, do it. Because dogs are so important for them to read us and read our body language and masks are affecting that. Yes. And it, and it's affecting the children in school in the same way. Yeah. But for me and the way that I work with animals, I'm extremely animated because I know that they are reading my body language as much as I'm reading theirs. So when you take away part of my facial expression, I'm not as effective. I feel that. I've seen that. I've tried it. And in fact, sometimes it's really scary to dogs who were not, um, who were already fearful and reactive. And then, then you add a person, not only a person, but a person with a mask. Right. So yeah, it's been a whole, um, whole new adventure which <laughs> launched everyone into their online virtual right. stuff where you can do basic things and you can lay the foundation but the meat of the work i personally can't do 
virtually. Right. And I would imagine if there's any kind of trouble or just uh, if somebody needs extra help, like, you you know, they're just at a loss, just trying to like, I'm trying to do what it says on the video. Why won't you say it? Like, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And sometimes you can model it and sometimes just offer a hand to help that you can't do that. You can't do that virtually. Like it yet. could just be a, a small thing that <laughs> right. needs to change, but yeah, they don't know. And then they're like, this doesn't work. And yeah. <laughs> right, right. Right. And it's hard. I have gotten better at coaching. Um, having to do some things virtually because you can lay a nice foundation and you actually can get into a home where a dog is severely um, aggressive, reactive to a visitor and you can show a person how to set up for that and Mm -hmm. practice for new people coming, right? In other words, I can help a dog who wouldn't necessarily um, look the same if I were there in the house where they're more relaxed just with their owner so we can make more progress that way. And I can actually work with the dog, you know, closer and see them better, not being reactive to me. Right. And we can make a lot more progress right up, right at the start. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That was interesting. Yeah. But there's always a part, there's always a place for me where I need to be hands-on mm-hmm. after laying that foundation. Out and about in the community, for example, helping <laughs> with those. You can't do that virtually. <laughs> Yeah, we've all had to learn a lot over these last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, but some a lot of good things came out of it because now all the the coursework is online. Kids can do it at, at their leisure in their home. Anybody can learn it. Anybody can access all the free resources on the website. We'll have links in the show notes. <laughs> um, you know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. I am so glad I got to talk to you. I am so happy I got to be here. <laughs> Natalie, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Hugs and Belly Rubs Dog Health Journal. One of the most stressful times for me as a dog mom has been when my dogs have been sick. I've had dogs with cancer, with allergies, with mystery illnesses that we haven't been able to get a diagnosis for yet. With the Dog Health Journal, you can schedule your dog's daily meals, medications, supplements, track their appetite, water intake, and even poops. You can record their daily activities and note any changes in their physical appearance, such as lumps and bumps, or their routine. Since our dogs can't talk, it's our job as pet parents to listen to what they're telling us through their behavior and body language. With the Dog Health Journal, you can keep all the information you need to let your veterinarian know all in one place. With the Dog Health Journal bundle, you get your daily pages, you get your vet visit pages, you get a free 23-page ebook of the 12 changes in your dog to never ignore, and you also get tons of dog mom life hacks and general tips for keeping your dog as healthy as possible. So make sure you check the link in the show notes to hugsandbellyrubs.com for the Dog Health Journal. Your dog and your vet will thank you. I hope that you have a few minutes to check out all of the amazing photos that Natalie has to share with us. I absolutely love when our guests send me tons of photos and Natalie certainly did. I love seeing the photos of her working with the children. You have to check out the photos of the artwork that her students did about the anti-dog fighting book. It's really cool. It's really heartfelt. I just love seeing what these concepts look like through the eyes of a child. And of course, there's photos of Lacey with Ronald McDonald and doing some of her therapy work in her doggy wheelchair. That is just so special to me. 
And of course, if you have a high school age child, make sure you check the link in the show notes for information on the Kids for Canines Teen Summer Program at the Baltimore Humane Society. I'm so thankful to Natalie for coming on and for sharing her story with us. I absolutely love all of the work that she's doing, and I truly believe in the healing power of animals and that it's these types of programs that can help change lives and create a better Baltimore. Before we sign off, I just wanted to share a couple other quick things with you. First, in case you hadn't heard the news on social media, I have actually started a second podcast. I will, of course, be continuing to do the Believe in Dog podcast, but I've also started a second podcast with dog blogger Kimberly Gautier. You can hear Kim's story on episode 18 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I always say that I'm a dog health nerd and I love finding more information out about alternative practices and health for both people and for animals. And so Kimberly is, of course, a raw feeding blogger. And we have started a new podcast called The Alternative Dog Moms. And so each episode, we're talking about different health topics for our dogs and helping our dogs live better, healthier, longer, happier lives. We already have several episodes available that you can listen to. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for you. But I hope that this podcast will sound like you're getting to listen in on a chat with two friends talking about things that matter to them, like choosing safe and healthy toys for our dogs. How do we choose the best supplements for our dog's health? And there's even an episode where I share all about my experience going to the Healthy Dog Expo in Albany, New York, where I got to talk and meet with people like Dr. Karen Becker, Rodney Habib, and some of the other famous faces in the dog health community. So if that sounds like your thing, make sure you check out the Alternative Dog Moms podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, I got to be a guest on two different podcasts recently, and I'll have links in the show notes if you want to check these out. Most recently, I was a guest on the Wear Wag Repeat podcast with Tori Mystic. Tori is like hashtag dog mom goals. She has created an entire business around being a dog mom lifestyle expert. And on her podcast, she shares conversations with women in the pet industry. And so I was so incredibly fortunate to have been featured. We actually talked about podcasting and how to start a podcast, the challenges of starting podcasts, and what that has looked like for both of us. I was really, really honored to have been asked to be a guest on Tori's podcast because she's someone I look up to ever since I've started this journey, and it was really special for me to feel like I had something of value to contribute to her and to her audience. And a few weeks back, I was a guest on the Raw Entrepreneur podcast with host Amaris Wang. Amaris is actually based out of Singapore, and she is such a cool person. Amaris is another self-proclaimed dog health nerd, and she started her podcast to share about the health practices that are out there and to talk to the people who are at the cutting edge of the dog health movement all around the world. And Amaris was interested in talking to me about the dog health journal that I have started for pet parents. And I was so incredibly honored to have been asked to be a guest on her podcast. She has over 100 episodes out and every episode is like a who's who of the people that I look up to, the people that I follow, the people who are creating change in the world that I believe in. And so 
again, it was super special to be asked to have been a guest on, on that podcast too. So if you're interested in learning more about me and my story, why I started the podcast, the story behind the Dog Health Journal, I talk about all of that with Emerus on The Raw Entrepreneur. That'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. I really hope you'll check out the links in the show notes to find out more about Natalie, to see the photo album of Natalie's photos and everywhere you can find her, as well as these other podcast episodes that I was sharing with you about. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook and at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores on Instagram, as well as at Believe in Dog Until next time, this is Aaron Scott sending you hugs belly rubs. The Believe in Dog podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.